don't know if you ever walked into a classroom um, and there's an overhead sitting there. I know some of you are like, what's an overhead? You're too young. But if any of you remember the overhead, the lulling hum of the fan. You walk in that room, there's an overhead there. You're already half asleep before you get to your chair. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, you know it's not going to be exciting. It's the overhead. Now, I love math teachers. My dad was one. But you know, it's always the math teachers that have the overhead, right? Because they want to they scribble out the math and stuff on the, on the overhead. And they're the, so they turn on the overhead, and that's when you turn the brain off. Well, sometimes Nehemiah is kind of like that. Nehemiah, and that's how it was for me growing up, because the Old Testament, uh, just kind of when I was growing up, was really just not that necessary. We really just needed the New Testament. That's why in our church we had lots of little Bibles, and, and they only had the New Testament. They threw in Psalms, you know, for good measure, but it was mostly just the New Testament. And, 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 and the Old Testament was really just there uh, kind of as an added bonus, like to help you uh, with a little history, right? And so Nehemiah is one of those books in the Old Testament. And so you hear Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when I was a kid, Nehemiah, I mean, if the preacher got up and said, well, I'm going to preach on Nehemiah, I was already, it was like turning on the overhead. Or for you younger guys, it's like uh, the, the PowerPoint. PowerPoints are cool, but have you ever been through one of those like 157 slide PowerPoints that somebody put? It doesn't matter how many animation, you know, little things and sounds, boing, and things come from this side, they flash out. Too many slides, this is crazy. So uh, don't, don't do that this morning. Don't, there's no, uh, let's just pretend there's no overhead, you know, no lulling fan, no, you know, no uh, PowerPoint with 150 slides. Nehemiah is extremely relevant to us this morning. And I, so I'm going to read it. All right, Nehemiah, uh, it's chapter 2, 9 through 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them, I'm going to lift this up, and gave them the king's letters. Uh, now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, I love that name. I don't know if I said it right. The Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this. It displeased them greatly. Ooh, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. Then I arose in the night. And a f I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night by the valley, uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Hmm. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up uh, in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with the gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they, were, they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant 
And Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. And you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Alright, so first thing, thir- verse 13, I went out by night by the valley gate to, and what did he do? To inspect. See, I, I used to work at, um, with rent houses. I used to work in a property management business. This was my uh, father-in-law's business. It's the only break that I've ever taken, um, well, not counting college. There were a lot of breaks in there, but in, in, in like a real job land, uh, the only break I ever took from being a public school art teacher was that one year, or maybe it was a year and a half, uh, anyway, in, in my father-in-law's property management business. And so here's what would happen often. Uh, we'd get a call uh, on the phone, and it'd be somebody uh, who, who would say, well, um, <clears throat> yeah, we're, mo- we're about to move out. Uh, you know, and maybe their lease is up, maybe it's not. You know, it, it, you just ran into all kinds of, of situations. But, but then my job, and believe me, I was eager to do it because I am not built for sitting in an office, was to go out and then inspect the house, right? I, I get, you know, we wait till they, they, get, they have a little time to get out of the house, they move out, they get their things out, and then I have to go and I have to inspect the house. I have to inspect and assess the damage. And usually there is one. I mean, most of the time there's some damage and, and there's, a, you know, and then there's just normal wear and tear. And I have to go out there and do that. Now, I'll never forget uh, the, the day that we did get the call from the guy who had lived in the house that he had lived in for six years. I'd never even seen this guy. Now, I, I, I hadn't been there for six years, okay, so, but I didn't even know what this guy looked like. All I know is we got his rent check every week, and I check, you know, put it in the bank, whatever. Okay, because we don't own the houses, we just manage the house. So, you know, the owner's happy, he's getting his check, pay the mortgage, you know, because he's got to, he doesn't have enough money to own the house anyway, but he's out of town and he's got to rent it out. So, this guy paid on time every time. This person I never saw. We get the check like clockwork, but then one month it doesn't come in like clockwork. So we're like, what's going on? Well, we give him another day or so. He calls. Uh, I'm moving out, he says. So, but he, I think he moved out in the middle of the month. So it wasn't like the end of the month. It was like he was gone. And it was time to go and check out the house. So we drove up to the house. And, you know, it looks like, it looks normal. You know, it's just, a, it, it kind of blends in with the neighborhood, you know. There's nothing really uh, extraordinary about the outside of it. It doesn't look particularly run down. It doesn't look great either, you know. Not much has been done to it in a while. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some, some weeds in the yard and everything. See, people are like this, you think about it. Uh, we, we're really good at blending in, especially here, like on Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday morning service is a great place to blend. In fact, that's kind of our goal. We want to blend as much as possible. We don't want to stand out because then we're afraid someone's going to run over and go, you're a visitor, you know, or, or get up and give me your name and your email and all your information and we're going to call you. So we try to blend it. But the other thing is we've got things inside the house that nobody can see and we don't plan on that happening. Not here. 
I mean, that's just the, that's how people are. Well, so no amount of preparation, I think, this may be hyperbole, but I don't think that any type of you know preparation could have prepared me for the horror that await me behind the exterior walls of that house. It, it looked normal until I opened the door. Before I could even open my eyes, I was knocked over by an odor that had been roasting in the hot Texas sun. See, the air conditioner had been turned off evidently. So, we walked in. Now, of course, I'm hearing the buzz of flies, you know. Bzz, 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 you know bzz. So, I'm, I'm actually smelling and hearing things before I can even, before I even brave enough to open my eyes, right? Well, um, and, and what I'm going to try to do this morning, since it is Sunday morning, and, you know, Sunday morning we try to be, we, we, we take showers and we comb our hair and everything. We don't wear our dirty clothes and stuff. So, I'm going to try really hard to tell this describe this house without actually getting to the point of grotesque. I'll stop short of that or try to stop short of sickening. But, but, but I have to. I mean, the, the simple side of me wants to inflict this on you because I had to go through it. So I want you to experience it like I did. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to do that. So I walk in. Now, the guy had a pet. Pet wasn't trained to use the bathroom somewhere else. So evidently, he had been doing, uh, using the carpet. I guess it, you know, feels better than grass. So, pressed and mm, affixed, trying to be not as gross as possible, to the carpet was all kinds of well, dog poo. I don't know. There are a lot of words you could use. Let's just use poo. Poo and pee, the alliteration. So we've got, got both of those. And they are mixing, you know, the aromas in the house. There are other things you smell too, but those are the two. Those are the most pungent. The ones that, that I don't think I'll ever forget. They're burned in my brain forever. And it's still there. Not a very good attempt, attempt has been made to get it out. And even if you did, it looked like it'd be hard. Pretty much, people just walk, been walking around on it. You know, that's a, I don't know what they thought it would go away. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it does not. Yeah. So, all right. I finally do open my eyes. I look around, and I see that the the guy and I guess his kids, who had, who'd been there with him, had used the house, the inside of the house as a paintball course. <laughs> Not the paintballs with the white paint, but the paintballs with the day below pink and orange paint. And so all over the walls are paintballs that have been splatted. And no attempt, again, has been made to remove these. They're all over the wall. There's even some of the little plastic shells, you know, that come off of the paintball, you know, out of the paintball, and it's, if you've ever played paintball. So, that's, that's what the walls look like. Now, listen, the la this is always the scariest thing, if you've been, you know, if you've had to do what I did for a while. 
you always want to you always want to kind of build yourself up and get yourself your strength up like, like it says Nehemiah they strengthen their hands for the good work before you try to venture into other places like the bathroom because those can be really really scary especially bad but eventually I did have to make my way back to one of the bathrooms which looked like had been out of order for a while that didn't seem to deter the tenants from using it though so uh, let's just say um, you know it was going to take more than a little bit of Mr. Clean and a, and a toilet scrubber to get that clean. I opened underneath the kitchen sink, um, and you know if you've ever had a garbage disposal, most of us do, it sometimes can spring a leak down at the bottom, and and the water start leaking out. Um, it, a seal's broken or whatever. You either have to fix a seal or replace it. If you don't do that, the water continues out, right? Well, we know what water does, and the more it drips out, the more it corrodes, and the more it... Uh, the leaks don't get better, okay? They don't fix themselves. I've never seen that happen. So this one had gotten worse. In fact, this one looked like it was years old. The whole bottom of the garbage disposal had rusted out, actually, so that when you turned on the water in the sink, the water actually... It didn't have anywhere... No detours. It just went straight into the sink, through the garbage disposal, out of the garbage disposal, under the floor. And it had been doing this for a long, long time. So, the, uh, you know, the pressed wood or whatever that was under there is, is actually disintegrating. I mean, it's going away. There's a big hole. And there's a nice little layer of fuzzy mold all over there. All colors. You know, you, see, you hear a black mold. There's black mold, white mold, gray mold. Hairy mold, fuzzy mold, spotty mold. It was all in there. It was the kind of mold you don't want to... Like, you, you open it up, you don't want to breathe. You're afraid you're breathing it all into your lungs, right? So, this was the, uh, this was the state of the, of the actual kind of structural part of the house. Um, I haven't even gotten into the, the, the roaches yet. Now, the roaches... That, that little situation is so bad that it's going to take a little two-part explanation. I'm going to give you the first part now. Most of them were hiding. I'll just tell you that. Most of them were hiding. I still saw a lot of them, though. A lot of them. Because they were bold. I mean, they were like, hey, we've been living here. What are you doing here? You know? We're not afraid of you. Where they're walking out, you know, in, in broad daylight. They're crawling up the walls. They're going around. They're not afraid of me at all. You know, I step on one there. I got one of your friends. They're like, I don't care. Come get, you know, they run the other way. They're not afraid. But, because they're like, hey, we've got a whole army in these walls. You don't know. People are like this house. We're like this house. I mean, think about it. We love to blend in. Uh, we love to, to get the exterior, you know, looking pretty, pretty good. You know, we do the best we can. Just kind of fix it. We got to run a lawnmower over the lawn. You know, we we kind of get you clean the windows a little, trim the bush, whatever it takes. Uh, because we we really don't want people coming inside, seeing that wreck. Nobody nobody really wants that. It doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. And before Christ, we are all. See, I know what some of us may be thinking. I was thinking this too. I was like, well, <laughs> I wasn't like that house. And, you know, I was like uh, one of the better kept houses, you know. One that had a nice little, uh, you know, 
single mom that was meticulously clean or something, and that that's that's the kind of house I was. You know, no, no, we were the nasty house. That's what we are. Before Christ, we're that house. We're that disgusting, nasty. That's what we are. So the Bible tells us. And God sees that. See, we can see the exterior. Man, man sees the outside, but God sees the in, in, He sees the heart. And that's what's in our hearts before Christ. Before Christ begins to inspect. Before Jesus begins His rebuilding process. Now, um, it's, it's easy though, because of that, to look down on people. I, I know I've done that too. So you, you really can't look down on people like, well, my house is cleaner than your house. No, your house is, my house is just as stinky as yours. It's just as bad. It's just in need of cleaning and rebuilding and refurbishing. And here's the thing. Just the same way that I wasn't prepared, I'm telling you, I wasn't. There's no, in my mind, I, I could not imagine how bad it was. Guess what? That's how it's going to be in people's lives. The thing is, we're called to go into people's lives. Ooh. Well, hey, that's what your house is like, so you shouldn't be looking down on somebody else's house. You're not going to be prepared in and of yourself, on your own, for what you're going to see. When, some, when, people, when Christ comes in and He changes, gives someone a heart of flesh, and they open up the door and let you in... Because that's what, it's not just letting, you know, there are people aren't just letting Jesus in. They, when you let Jesus in, you let his disciples in and you start becoming a disciple. When you, you're not going to be adequately prepared for what you see. It could scare you a little bit. It could be a little bit frightening. That's why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to rely on the power of the gospel. Because we're not able... We're not able to fix it ourselves. And we're not able to go in and be of any help or good to someone else of, in and of ourselves. Now, when I walked in that house, I was overwhelmed. I, I mean, I can, I'm a little bit handy. I can do a thing or two around the house, but I was, I, I, there was no way I was going to be able to do all that. It was way beyond anything I could really do. That's how it's going to be in people's lives. And so our prayer has to be to God, one of humility. See, that's what Nehemiah did. We learned last week, he prayed and said, God of heaven, you know, you have to do this. You have to help me. Nehemiah was, was a cupbearer. He wasn't a contractor, you know. But God still called him to do it because that's what God does. He shows himself strong. He's going to show ourselves strong when we're able to move into other people's lives, when we're not afraid to get our, our hands dirty because we know that we were just as dirty and in some ways still are, that's, what's, that's what it's going to be like in people's lives. We have to be willing to take the Word of God and do some inspection. We have to take it in. We have to, we have to let the Word of God kind of be the eyes of what is going on. Now, Nehemiah went and he inspected the damage. He walked around and looked at it. Now, see, I, I had to be the first one to show up at that house when it was empty. You don't... It, it, here's, a, here's a bad idea. Call up the contractors and all the people and have them go out there and, and inspect the damage. Not a good idea. You need to go and do it first. 
This is what Nehemiah did. When you're, when you're the one called like that, you go and do it. So I had to go and do it. And then I had to come up with a plan. And this plan was not going to include only me. This plan was going to include other people. Now, um, I don't want to miss this part. Oh, yeah. I said that we have to go on with the power of the gospel and the word of God. I did say prayer, right? Did I say that? I I hope I did. (laughs) Because you're going to be really in trouble. You need prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Now, um, I'm thinking about um, Luke. Luke, If you don't know Luke, there's his head back there. You can only see his head. Yeah, all right. He's our lead pastor. He he came actually out to Knoxville. When, and this had been on, this had been growing, something growing in his heart that, that God had put in his heart to plant a church here for a long time before we actually got here. Uh, but he came out to see for himself. See, now uh, Luke is a kind of a numbers nerd, a statistics guy, I should say. I'm not saying nerd. I mean, I like nerds. Uh, I am one. So. Um, but he's the kind that likes numbers and statistics and facts and things like that. So he had been researching all about it. This area, this region, this city. But that's really not enough. That's really not enough. So he, he actually came out here for, it's on several occasions. And when he was here, he's, he's riding his bike around. He's a, triathlon, a triathlete. You know, he likes to run and ride his bike. That's an understatement. And he's praying and he's going around. He's talking to people, asking them. What kind of church does Knoxville need? You know, just people in the store, people in the restaurant, people he meets. Inspecting, seeing what, what is it? What is the, what's the damage, basically? What, what is it? And, and really what he found, and what, what we have found, is that Knoxville, uh, it, the numbers really do check out. It's really, it's... It's, it's really far from God. It's spiritually disengaged. It's bad at gospel community. It's good at having churches, lots of churches. We have that. So the church has a presence in Knoxville. That's, that's good. But it's really bad at um, this thing we're talking about this morning where we go into people's lives and get inside the door and do gospel with each other one-on-one and get our hands dirty. It's really bad at that. It's a very clicky place. It's a place where um, you get your, your little click and your friends. And it's hard to get in to that. We know because we've been trying to get in in certain places. And it's hard. I understand. I'm from West Texas. It's kind of like that out there. I, I understand. But that's, that's what it's like here. And so there is, there is, a, there is a certain amount of, of, the, of the walls that have come down in Knoxville. And so that's what, that's what Legacy is, is here for. That's why we're here. We're not here because oh, we need to add to the number of churches that are here. But we wanna, we're here so that we can help lead people to, to enjoy Jesus and engage each other with the gospel and be a community, a church community, the way that uh, God really means the church to be. And so, there's that inspecting that comes out. You know, we read that uh, old sand ballot that, that 
that the you know that rude Sam Ballot. Who's the other guy? Where, where is he? Sam Ballot. I like saying his name over and over again. It's cool. The Horonite and Tobiah. Those guys. They had their clique. They didn't like this Nehemiah guy coming in. Everybody ever have a new supervisor? I was just talking to someone about that. Who was I talking to about about his the turnover and his new manager and he's in here. Oh. <laughs> come in, they're like, we're going to clean house. Right? We're going to change things. We don't like that. That bothers us. Who is this new guy? What's going on? I like things the way they are. Hey, I earned my right to be in this clique here, you know? I've been here a long time. This guy doesn't know anything. Sometimes that's actually true. <laughs> but not in this case. In this case, God had sent Nehemiah and put it on his heart to go. Well, Sam Ballard and Tobiah, they're not happy about it. They're like, you're not in our clique. You're a cupbearer. You're a sissy, you know. You don't know anything about this. We've been out here and the walls are broken down. We're out. This is tough. This is, we're, this is the, I mean, this is a tough neighborhood guy. You go back to the palace, you know. I'm sure that kind of talk, it's not in the Bible, but <laughs> making that up. But, it, but I mean, isn't that the way it is, you know. So we come here in Knoxville, and some of some a lot of us in this room are actually not from Knoxville and are new here as well, uh, relatively new. And some of us are from this city. It's easy to get in our cliques, try to keep people out. So we say, well, Kevin, you sound so judgmental. You came to our city and you you judge us. You're judging. You're judging. I don't like that. Get away from my house. You you don't like my house. You're judging it. Well, it's true. We are. But see, there are different kinds of judgment. I mean, we know if you are the, the unbiblical kind of judgment, the kind that Jesus commands against, is a kind where you pronounce over a person their, their value in standing before God using yourself as the measuring tool. Okay, that's, that's bad. Now, Jesus says, if you do that, well, I'm going to judge you based on that. See, but... But really, the biblical, biblical, that's cool, biblical right kind of judgment is the kind where you're assessing the reality that is before you, just like we are to do with our own hearts. When we look into someone, so we look into the city, or, or we look into our own hearts, or into the heart of someone else who's who's opening it up to us, we have to make an assessment. And we make it based on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is a, it's like a mirror. It shows us everything about ourselves that we can't hide. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide the things that you think are all stuck together. Soul and spirit and, and the marrow from, from the bone. <clears throat> so yeah, we're making some assessments and judgments. But we pray that we're doing it with humility. We pray that we're doing it understanding that our house was messed up and is still being cleaned up and rebuilt. Our hearts are still being rebuilt. We're being sanctified daily. Really, it's the heart of Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. Didn't He? I mean, didn't He make proper and right assessments? of some of the situations and people around him. He even got kind of mean and called some people snakes. And 
hypocrites, and those are not nice words. I'm not saying we should go around and call people snakes, but we do need to look in and call it what it is. But God's vision for Knoxville is much better than that. So, God's vision for Knoxville is much better than spiritually disengaged, clicky, uh, religious. Um, God's uh, vision for Knoxville is that we have a city that loves Jesus, that is devoted to one another in Him, that loves the city with the, with the love of God and for the glory of God. It wants to do well, wants to do, wants to do, uh, I don't know if it, if I say this wrong, I feel like uh, Matt's going to tell me afterward because he's really good at, at grammar and stuff. <laughs> he doesn't really do that. That, we, want, that we, want, we wish well for the city around us. That we're not just inward focused. We're not just all about ourselves. That this would be a city that enjoys Jesus and that is changed forever by the gospel. That's God's vision for the city. That was God's vision for his people, for, the, for Jerusalem, at that time, in the time of Nehemiah. That's, that's what he gave Nehemiah. He gave Nehemiah a vision of the walls being up. You know, and, and, and all, all that was, was is it, it, was a, it was a security for them. But see, this now, we don't, we, don't put, we don't build the physical walls up, but we have the security that's in the gospel, that's in Christ. We don't get our security from anything else. And, and, and really, the Bible said, calls us uh, living stones. Calls us living stones. So, the carpet guys. I've got to get carpet in that house. And I told you about it, so I won't go into it again. But you can imagine, though, that when you rip that carpet up, there's going to be some stuff under there. And uh, so we got one carpet guy. He comes out. He walks in. He walks back out and says, I'm not doing that. And he leaves. <laughs> he said, and on the way out, along with a few other explicatives, he said, you're never going to find anyone to do that. I said, okay. I said, you're probably right. I was imagining myself getting in there and ripping it out, which I was perfectly willing to do if I had to. Well, the second guy comes in, he's like, yeah, I'll do it, but you're going to pay. And I'm not dumping it, you are. I mean, he had all these conditions, and I was like, I, okay, okay, yes, sir, yes, okay, whatever you want, sir, here's a drink of water. He does it, pulls this carpet up. I mean, and then it's my job to clean the floor. Pulling the carpet up wasn't enough. I had to go in. I had to clean the floor. I haven't gotten to the roaches part yet. See, this was a job for more than Roach Motel. Roach Motel wasn't going to cover it. There are no more rooms in, in the inn. I mean, in the Roach Inn. There's no way, right? I could tell there's too many. Because, you know, have you heard people say, like, well, if you see one roach, that represents a thousand, or I don't know what the number is, but I saw a bunch. <laughs> so I did have to have a guy come out and do it. And he kind of came in and was like, well, I don't know what kind of good it's going to do, but I'm going to And he put up those things and, and, and bombed the house. 
And, and so he said, come back, you know, in a, in a couple of days. So I did. I came back in a couple of days. Uh, I don't know what it is about the roach bomb that causes... I don't know what... I mean, why do the roaches come out from their hiding place when you put the bomb out? I don't get that. You would think they would run and hide, but they don't. They all come out. So I open the door, and there it is. It's like a sea... There was no place that I could step my foot. I mean, you know, you can imagine the sounds. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know it's terrible. But <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop there. I don't, I, like I said, I, oh, I want to inflict it on you, man. <laughs> I had one of those little brooms and a Walmart bag. <laughs> I was taking those things out to the trash, you know what I mean? Dumping them in the... That's what it's like. It's not neat and tidy. Church was never meant to be that way. It's not that way. Because you can't do any good that way. You know why that house ended up like that? Because nobody went into it. No one looked at it. Except the guy living there. He got real used to it. You see, the people in Jerusalem, they were really used to those stones laying around and burnt gates. They were really used to it. They were like, yeah, they, we kind of like it this way, I guess. I, don't, I mean, probably didn't like it, but you get used to it. I guess, somehow, the guy got used to the sights and smells and sounds that were in his house. Nobody else went in to say, hey, man, uh, <clears throat> I just want to tell you this is wrong. <laughs> this is not, something's terribly wrong with this. This is terrible. Nobody had done that. That's what happens to us. We try to do these things on our own. We don't want people in. It's embarrassing. Hey, the people of Jerusalem were embarrassed too. And, that, and that is, I, I believe that's one of the things that just, I mean, it broke Nehemiah's heart. Not just embarrassment from pride, but just a sense of shame. When the... Uh, the news came to Nehemiah, as we learned last week, that the gates had been burned and the walls were on the ground. And not only that, but the people were suffering shame, basically. Well, that's how we feel. Someone comes in, we're ashamed. We feel ashamed. The thing is, though, the love of, of, the love of Christ says that He took our shame. I mean, the Gospel says that He took our shame. He took it. So He's not trying to shame us. But it's better just to go ahead and just see it for what it is. When a person is outside of community, the only thing they can really hope for is kind of themselves seeing everything and realizing what's wrong so they can fix it. Or that, that one person might come along and pursue them. You know, like maybe somebody walks along accidentally looks in the window or something and they see something. That's all you can really hope for when you're, trying, when you're trying to do it all alone. See, God created it to be done with community. So that's why, I mean, Nehemiah didn't do it all alone. That's why he said, Let us rise up and build. And, and then they said, Yes, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That's kind of what we and, and we had a handyman that kind of worked for the, the property management company and he did things in all the houses all the time. And 
so we had him and and then the carpet guy who finally came in we kind of we, we got close you know it was like we were in the trenches you know fighting alongside each other at first we we're like oh I don't like you you don't like me by the end of it man we were like we did it we're high-fiving look someone could actually live in this house you know oh man we love it. you know keep in contact with me all right man here's my give me your card you know I love you man you know carpet guy you get close with each other when you're doing that get a lot closer than if I had just said hey carpet guy let's uh, let's go uh, you want to meet me at you know I don't know Starbucks or let's have a coffee hangout yeah he'd be like I don't have anything in common with you you don't really get close that way uh, you get close when you're doing something together that has the purpose of the gospel in it that's how people get close with each other so if your question is how am I going to get close that's how it's it that's how it's done in script that's how God gives us a pattern and an example of that over and over and over again about people who do who get they, they link arms with a common purpose and so they begin to grow close with each other I guarantee you if I go it's been years since I've seen this man the handyman guy but if I go back to him It'll be like no years have passed at all. We can sit down and talk about that house. I won't, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I won't have to explain where it was or anything. He'll know. We have that bond. That's what we get. That's, that's kind of like a, a blessing that we get with each other. We grow close to one another. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen here in this room. That's not where it happens. Maybe in little pockets, you know, uh, if you, like you come early and you set up chairs and stuff. Or, or you know, the worship team kind of does that in, you know, children's ministry. But the overall, in general, it's not happening. It's not going to happen right here in these chairs. Good things happen here. We worship together. We hear the gospel preached. We hear the word of God. Good things. But not the rebuilding. Rebuilding doesn't happen here. And rebuilding won't happen in Knoxville that way. It's not going to. It happens when we as a people go out into Knoxville, inspect the damage and assess the damage prayerfully with the Word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We then proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. That's when the rebuilding happens. And that's when we get close. That's when you get good friends that you have forever. I mean... People that are going to be your brother and sister forever and ever. I mean, I think about that. Matt sitting over here, he's, he's my brother. I mean, we're never going to forget, even if we're separated by years, even if it's God's will that we're separated by miles, I should say. We're always going to have that, that brotherhood. We're brothers in the Lord and we have a bond because we've done things together. We're in this missional community together. We're trying to reach people with the gospel. We're trying to get see people rescued and saved. And, and, and then we're doing this, you know, we're, we're serving on, on, in the service on Sunday morning. And we're, we're doing things together. So we're getting close as bro, like brothers. That's how it happens. Otherwise, I wouldn't know Matt from Adam. I wouldn't. How would we cross paths? But it's funny how we as people want to do that. We just want to go in... And we just want, we want the community, we just want the, the instant friends and, and stuff like that. But, but then we don't want to open, our, open up our hearts to anybody. 
And then we want to look inward. We don't want to think about the city. And we don't want to think about the people around us. We're not going to get close that way. Nehemiah, I'm sure, is getting really close and with, his, with, his, I mean, with the guys he's working with. I mean, they were devoted to him, walking around with swords, you know, and building at the same time, hammer in one hand. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to that later. When people are in community, they get, they get ministry from people all around them. People, not people, competent, skilled people at different levels, but people all around. Not just their leaders, not just the pastor, but people around them. People who, who have a good, a good grasp of the Word of God and know how to apply the Gospel. That's people. They have people all around them. That's what you get when you're in community. So if one person can't, can't uh, really help you with one issue, you've got someone over here. You're surrounded by people. I mean, the carpet guy didn't know how to fix the plumbing. They had to have the plumber come in and do that. I, didn't really, I don't know how to lay carpet. I know how to paint, though. I could do that. You know, this house needed work from all different directions. And that's what you get when you're in community. That's when you get when you're being the church. So I'll stop using the community buzzword. That's all it is, is the church being the church with each other and being, as Paul says in Romans, devoted to one another. I believe it's Romans, but he says it. Devoted to one another. Devotion is a lot more than acquaintance. Here's the thing, though. Opposition. Sand ballot. Tobiah. They kind of symbolize the opposition, don't they? Guess what? The gospel has opposition to it. And they had opposition. And they even said, they even go so far as to say, isn't this, isn't this weird? Listen to what it says. In, in verse 10, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that what? That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You're going to find yourself asking the question, are you seriously mad at me because I'm trying to help out here? Yeah, they are. It's going to happen. You're going to get opposition. The gospel has opposition. Jesus said, what? I mean, it's a student greater than his teacher. They hate me, they're going to hate you. They, I, don't, I don't understand it completely, but I just know what happens. And they were used to the status quo, like I said. New supervisor coming in. Uh, we don't like this. And when you begin to believe the gospel, not only for yourself, but for other people, that opposition is going to rise up and it's going to come out of nowhere. What you thought was nowhere. It's often going to come from people even who are close to you. I mean, it's weird. And that's the kind that hurts. That's the kind that hurts the most. I mean, there's, there is a woman in our church, and I'm not using her name. She's, in, she's a member. She's a sister of, in Christ of mine, and she's, she's here. But I'm not going to use her name because I don't want to um, focus on that part. But I want to tell a little bit of her story so that I can drive this point home about the opposition. You see, I remember meeting her and hearing her talk about her life and when she was, and I remember seeing the rubble. I remember seeing the stones falling. 
I remember her describing uh, her life and where it had, what it had come to. I remember that. I remember hearing the, even though she's trying to hide it, the, the really a, a hopeless sort of feeling, uh, a pain that was there. It, there was rubble in her life, and she didn't know how she was going to rebuild it. But she knew that something had to, there had to be some rebuilding. It was not, things were not as they should be. She was far from God. That's, that's what it was. And I remember seeing her by a community, not just one person, but a community of people around, surrounding her, doing the different things they do, using their own spiritual gifts and, and their own personalities and the things God's given them to begin preaching. I don't mean like they stand up with a podium. And pre- we proclaim the gospel to each other in sometimes the simplest ways. Just proclaiming it to her and, and demonstrating it. Hey, I really would like to get to know you just because I want to, you know. I, I, I just, I, you know, I like you. I, I want to, I, I think that you're, uh, you know, that God has his hand on you. I want to just get to know, you know, people reaching out to her like that. And her beginning to spend time with people who not only genuinely cared about her, but that were also applying the good news of Jesus to her rubble. And I, and I remember she, and she, there was a time, a moment in time, a real special moment, where she just told God, I, I'm not doing it myself anymore. I'm sick of this. Given it all to you, I trust you for everything. And she and so now she's a rescued one, like the song we were singing earlier says. And not only that, she's surrounded by people who love her and who are in her life even more than ever. But here comes the opposition. There's some people who don't like it. And there are people who are close to her. It's, 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 it's a difficult situation. It's hard. They don't like it. There's, there's opposition. Well, why? What's wrong with them? I mean, they're just seeking the welfare. of It doesn't matter. There's opposition to the gospel because it, there, there just is. I mean, there's light and there's darkness. And the darkness it can't comprehend the light. It doesn't. But I have uh, a hope, and I, and, I, and I know this is growing in her, that she is a light like a city on a hill. And that the gospel is big enough for this little opposition. The gospel is big enough for the conflict. The gospel is big enough for reconciliation. The gospel is big enough to turn this around. And, and really, I know, just like uh, God uh, told... Uh, Paul, that his grace is sufficient for the situation, sufficient for her, even in the discomfort and the pain. So it, it happens. It happened to Jesus. He was first. It says in Matthew thirteen fifty-five, um, people say, "Is this not the carpenter's son? Hey, I know you. Is not his mother called Mary? 
And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? This offends people. The more familiar we are with people, it, it's, it's, offensive. it's offensive that you are changing, you trust Jesus. Oh, now you're a goody two-shoes. Oh, great. Oh, now you're, you know, what do you, who are you hanging out with? Boy, they sound freaky. That's weird. I don't know. I don't know if I like this. I like the status quo. Let's keep it the same. You're going to get that opposition. Just be ready for it. And consider it all joy. That's what Paul says to do. Because it's actually quite an honor. Because we're simply uh, doing it because Jesus did it. He's our master. He's the one who did it first. And we get to partake of that in a divine way. We don't have to just lump it up and carry it. We're yoked with Him. He carried it for us. So here's what Nehemiah tells them. And I told them of the hand of my God. So he's not, he doesn't back off. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't get scared. He's not ashamed. He says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. <laughs> See, you're not alone. I mean, even when Jesus told us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He knew they needed to hear that because they were going to be out there and they were going to feel opposition. We're going to feel opposition. We're going to feel alone. We're going to need to know He's right there with us. And that's a promise. you got to go back to your promises. I mean, that's what Nehemiah did. He said, and and... And I told him of the hand of my God that had, that had been upon me. He had to bring that up again. Encourage himself. And encourage the men who were going to be like doing this unbelievable, insurmountable task, seemingly. So, uh, there are some things that could describe you. As we get close here to the end of this. Um, so, this could be you. Are you the house before anyone has inspected... Or assess the damage. Are you, are you one of those? Are you all closed up? Uh, got some problems inside? Nobody knows about it. Is that you? Because if it is you, Jesus says, I'm at the door. Hello. He, Jesus can come in. He loves you. You don't have to keep Jesus out. He already knows what's in there. No, Jesus, I don't want you to see this. Well, I already know about the garbage disposal. Sorry. (laughs) Might as well tell him about it. You can let people in. I'm not saying just let tell everybody your stuff. I mean, there's a we we build trust with each other. I mean, it takes time. There's no substitute for that. I'm not saying that. But, but you have to open the door sometime. Let somebody in there who, who can show you something you can't see. They can open the Word of God and answer your questions. Are you aware of the damage? Okay, here's one. Yeah, you know the damage, but you plan on fixing it yourself. Is that you? Like you're, you're, you know good and well that there's things wrong with it. People have even seen it, but you've told them, ah, don't worry about it. I, it's, I got it. 
don't worry about me. I've got it taken care of. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to tear down this house and rebuild it and wire it. And I'm going to do all the plumbing all by myself. I'm going to do it myself. So my answer to you is, no, you're not. (laughs) It's going to be a big fail. It's going to be a flop. And when that happens, Jesus will still come in and rescue you. And he'll rebuild you. But that's what's going to happen. The house is it's not going to happen. You can't do it yourself. Are you a person who's pursuing others going into the damage with the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay, are you one of those people? Or do you just take things for how they appear on the outside? Okay? I don't know what's in there. (laughs) I don't want to go in. I mean, basically what we're asking is, like Nehemiah had the heart of Jesus to go help and rebuild the the walls of Jerusalem. Um, Do we have that heart? I mean, have we allowed God to give us a heart of flesh, a soft and moldable heart? Uh, or are we the one that, that just we're, we're too afraid? We don't want to. I don't want to know what's in there. I don't know what what I can do about it. I don't know if I can, I'm not adequate. Hey, I deal with this too um, a lot. Um, I mean, I'm one of the elders here. I'm one of the pastors. We we believe as a church that elders are pastors. It's not a distinction uh, biblically, and I find myself crying out to God saying this is way <laughs> too big for me I don't have the training God I don't have the I, I, I can't do this so my temptation could be so I'm not gonna I'm just gonna I'm not gonna open the door I don't want to see what's in there so I think it, God would say to us there is that he didn't give us He didn't give me a spirit of fear, but He gave us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Spirit of boldness and self-control, power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power you're going to use when you're applying the gospel and helping someone rebuild. And guess what? While you're doing that, God starts rebuilding things in your own house that you didn't even know were there. There's nothing like ministering to somebody to show you your messed up faults. It happens a lot. It happens every time. And that's a a blessing. That's what happens. Legacy is a part of the church at large. But we believe that we are, as a part of that church, that we're made of living, we're being built and made of living stones. Let me read 1 Peter. Uh, and then I'm going to close um, here and pray. But First Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So that's what we believe here. That's who, that's who we are here at Legacy. We're living stones. That's who we are. If you're a Christian, even if you're in Legacy, if you're in any church, if you're part of the body of Christ, this applies to you. You yourselves are like living stones. So it's not just a legacy thing, but this is, this is legacy to the city. We want, uh, we, we, we want to go in with the Spirit of Christ in our heart like Nehemiah. Jesus is the perfect Nehemiah, right? So we're not all trying to be like Nehemiah. Jesus is perfect and final Nehemiah. That means nobody else is going to come along and build like he does. Uh, he's, the, he's the perfect one and he's the final one in our lives and that's why we want to carry his good news to other people for their lives for their lives to get rebuilt